0: continue in our, um, our James series. Last Sunday we had a little bit of a break from James to celebrate Pentecost, which was a wonderful, wonderful morning. Um, Sherilyn is speaking this morning to us, so let's give her a big round of applause. <clears throat> always always a wonderful, wonderful privilege to have Sherilyn. And so I'm just going to pray while you get get yourself sorted. Father, I thank you so much for Sherilyn. I thank you for her, um, for her voice. I thank you for her life. I thank you for um, the lifetime that she has spent following you. I thank you in those moments that are incredibly, um, like mountaintop moments, and those moments that were are um, deeper, darker valley moments. I pray in all of them. I thank you that you have been with Sherilyn and and we pray this morning that as she shares with us your spirit and your presence would be with her in jesus name and everyone said amen
1: thanks hi team i love art Wherever we go, if there's an art shop to be found, then I'm always begging for just a little bit of time to take a quick look. And, um, and thankfully, Lee doesn't mind looking at art either, and the kids are usually um, happy to, you know, choose their favorite piece and then critique each other's choices. Um, but one thing about art is that you can make or break it with a frame. Do you agree with that? Know what I mean? You've seen that amazing piece of art and the frame is just awful, or that piece that really doesn't look like anything much and then you put it in the right frame and all of a sudden it just comes to life. Well, while I love looking at beautiful artwork, um, often over the years, our budget hasn't allowed us to take many of those pieces home with us. So I have developed a habit of collecting frames. Like this one, collecting frames, and um, and in our home, we have got framed photos, framed calendar pictures, framed uh, what else have we got? Framed cards, a framed tea towel. Um, I've got a framed map. We've got framed mirrors, and there's even this uh, framed offcut of wallpaper, which I put in a literal old window frame that I salvaged when Springboard moved from down the road. And that now hangs in our toilet, which I call our room with a view. You like that one? Well, my favourite thing of all, though, Riley was begging me not to do this, but my favourite thing of all is to frame my own kids' artwork. And I have still, true story, got... Pictures that Riley drew when he was four years old hanging on our wall. But honestly, how cute are those animals, right? You can see why I've still got them hanging up on our wall. There's, there's a few others that go with it, but I just brought that one along. Another look. There we go. How cute is that giraffe and the lion's mane? There's an elephant and a walrus at home too. You'll have to come around and see them. Yeah. That was when he was four (laughs) Uh, Very cool But, um, you know, we frame what we're proud of We frame what we think is beautiful And we frame what we believe is worth noticing What we want other people to, what we want to draw their attention to And I I think that today's verses from James chapter 2, that's exactly what they're doing. They're inviting us to look at who's in God's gallery. They're inviting us to see what he deems, who he deems as beautiful and worth noticing, to see who's in his frame. And remembering that um, there were no chapter divisions when the Bible was originally written. We're actually going to pick it up from the end of chapter 1 to get the connection. I I begged the men in my family to read these verses for me, but no, I had no takers, so you stuck with me. Right. From chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father. Means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favour some people over others? For example, Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewellery and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love them? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favour some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but you don't commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, Remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So who's in the frame? The examples in these verses are the orphans, the widows, and the poor. And I'd love for us just to sit with that for a minute. So God is drawing our attention to the orphan, to the kid with no parent to hang their picture in a frame and put it on their wall. God hangs her photo in his gallery. For the 15-year-old with both parents in prison, the one who's been couch surfing for the last month. God believes he's worth noticing. He has a frame for him. And the widows. Now, in those times, to be a woman without a man in a man's world, that was a pretty dire situation. That wasn't just, you know, you're lonely because your partner's died. Actually, it, it was almost life and death stuff. But God had frames for those women and he's so proud of a couple of them that they even made it into his genealogy. Take a look. Tamar, widow. Ruth, widow. Bathsheba, widow. And God would still draw our attention to the desperate and the lonely and the poor. So judging by the 2,000 plus references that the poor get in the Bible, I reckon God has reserved the best space in his gallery for the poor. And if you're here this morning feeling alone and unloved and overlooked, well, I want to tell you that you're not. In fact, you feature in God's gallery. He sees you and he has a frame with your name on it. And while that sounds lovely, you and I both know that sometimes we still just need someone with skin on, right? And you just wait because uh, the rest of the the rest of this chapter in James, like James, is just getting started. These verses really—they're a call to action. Okay, so I started thinking that you know, if an obviously rich person walked through those doors and an obviously poor person came into our church, I would like to think that they would get the same kind of treatment. I know for certain that the poor person would not be told to sit in the back row. Matt, are you our poor person this morning? And definitely wouldn't be told to sit on the floor. Like I know that that just wouldn't happen. So I started asking God, okay, where and how do do we show favouritism? Like, what might it look like in our setting? And what might an example be that, that would be particularly relatable to us? But I came to the conclusion that, that those are really great questions for each of us to individually take to God. But collectively, as we look at these verses, I wonder whether they're not so much about a specific who, as they are about reminding us and identifying our why. Because while the Bible does talk a lot about the poor, and James uses these examples, I wonder whether he's not so much trying to identify specific categories of people and going, okay, make sure you look after them, as he is reminding us of the foundational values of the kingdom of God, this upside down countercultural way of thinking and being with everyone because when we know our why, I suspect that the who will look after itself. I read this book over summer called Subversive Jesus and I had to look up what subversive even means. <laughs> Um, But it means seeking or intending to undermine the power and authority of an established system or institution. And Craig Greenfield, the author, he talks about growing up with this idea of Jesus being nice. Not even necessarily kind, because kindness can be costly, but niceness, at least how he understood it, was always appropriate, unfailingly polite. You know, Lukey went off to a friend's place yesterday and packing his bag to stay overnight. We said, make sure you pack your manners. In fact, no, don't pack them, just put them on so that they're ready. You know, and, and we have this thing like, okay, we've got to be we've got to be polite, right? And and he grew up with this idea of Jesus being always appropriate and unfailingly polite, never disagreeable and certainly not upsetting in any way. Respectable. He talks about the dawning that this respectable Jesus that he had embraced in his privileged upbringing might not actually represent such good news for the poor and the oppressed. Because respectable Jesus doesn't rock the boat. Nice Jesus doesn't upset the status quo or challenge the way that society is organised. Domesticated Jesus doesn't disrupt injustice. But the Jesus of the Bible, ooh, he is one holy troublemaker. Seriously. He's a Jesus who, much to the disturbance of the elite, he stands with and draws our attention to and puts a frame around the very people that have been cast to the margins. Jesus absolutely intended to subvert. He absolutely intended to bring into question the power and the authority of the established ways of thinking of that time. Okay, now the culture of that time, they honoured the rich, the powerful. It esteemed some races above others. There was a distinct hierarchy and distinct divisions in society, and there were cultural and religious laws that kept those divisions well-maintained. Enter Jesus, presenting the kingdom of God as a place where the last would be first and the first last, where leadership looks like serving, where the rich are told, oh, it's hard for you to come in here, Like the rich, doors open for the rich, right? They get what they want. They go where they want. This is a kingdom where the rich are told it's hard for them to enter. But the children, they come freely. Where the hungry are fed and where all find a welcome. Because here comes the why. Division is forever answered in the cross. Let me explain what I mean by that. Come with me for a moment. Of all the divisions that I can think of throughout history, I can't think of any greater division than the divide between God and human. Right? The creator and the created, the perfect and the perfectly imperfect and <laughs> the desperately imperfect, you know? The division between God and human. And in the Old Testament, the Jews lived with a pretty significant symbol of that division in the form of the temple curtain. We're not just talking a bedroom curtain here. We're talking a curtain that was, and I did look up, start looking up the measurements. In the end, I decided to go with really, really high, really, really wide, and really, really thick. So much so that it took about 300 men to lift the thing. Okay, so we're talking significant. Curtain, <laughs> and this curtain hung between the Holy of Holies, which was the place in the temple that was the home, if you like, for the presence of God here on earth, and then the rest of the temple where people came and went. And you know, I I took a little detour this morning um, as I was coming here, and I drove because it was so stunning down towards the water and just looking out, and was kind of thinking about the craziness even of that concept of containing God's presence to, you know, the Holy of Holies, this place in the temple. I was thinking of it in terms of taking all the beauty of today, you know, the glory of the sun shining on the water and trying to contain it here in our little community centre. And and as I was thinking about the craziness of that, I drove around around roundabout and Overwent my rice cooker with the uncooked rice in it, all over the floor of my car. And in that instant, I went from imagining the glory of God to a really naughty word coming out of my mouth. And I was like, isn't that the picture, though, of the divide between God and human? Like in an instant, I'm taken from his glory to, oh dear, my rice is all over the floor. Okay, but back to the temple. Only a high priest could enter through that curtain, and only once a year. So the Jews lived with this curtain that was a constant reminder to them that the problem of sin kept humans separate from a perfect God. The greatest division of all between God and human. And then came Jesus, God, and human. You know, at the moment that Jesus died, we know this, but this is so significant. At the moment that Jesus died, that massive take 300 men to lift it curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The divide was, had an answer. The cross was the way through. The cross is the answer to that greatest division of all. And if that's the case, then surely it follows that all other division is also answered in the cross. Does that make sense? You know, if if we take the, the, the biggest example that we can think of in terms of divisions, God, human, and he answers that one in the cross, then everything else surely is, is answered for. But don't take my word for it. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says, Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God out of every tribe, language, people, group, and nation. And then Galatians 3.28 really spells it out. It says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, whatever any other division you want to put in that verse. There is no longer any of those divisions, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The cross changes everything. The cross is our why. And that's why James starts chapter 2 with these words. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Like Those two things just don't go together. If we accept that Jesus is the answer to the great divide, then surely we can no longer live with unjust division of any kind. The end of James chapter 1 finishes with the instruction to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. Corrupted by the world's values. You know, the world still values. Not much has changed since Jesus' time, if we're honest. The world still values wealth and power. Divisions of class and status still exist. There's still injustice based on gender. And racial divides are alive and well. And subversive Jesus would still invite us to take what we know about how society operates and throw it out the window. And he would say, come. Take a look at who I've got framed. I've brought about a new kingdom, a whole new way of thinking and being with each other. Come on, get in on it. What these verses are not talking about is charity. James is not saying, go find a poor person, give them a front row seat in church, job done. Okay? This royal law in verse 8, this foundational rule of God's royal kingdom to love your neighbour as you love yourself, that can't be box ticked through charity. Sorry, not sorry. You know, it's not, a, it's not a case of, ooh, I delivered a food parcel this week. Tick, loved my neighbour. I, I didn't laugh. At my mate's racist joke. Tick. I smiled at a man with tattoos on his face. Tick. Nailing it this week, you know. Yeah, nah. Now, none of those charitable activities are wrong. Please don't stop smiling at people and delivering food parcels if people need them. And, um, yeah, all of that don't stop doing that. But let's be honest, charity is often more about making ourselves feel good. Yeah, Charity is often more about us. We justify our privilege by giving a few handouts or doing a few good deeds. And God's invitation here is into something way cooler and potentially way more costly. The royal law, this foundational rule, is not an invitation to charity, but to community. And it reminds me of this quote from Lila Watson. She was an Aboriginal activist, and she said, If you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Now, that might sound harsh, but in other words, she's saying, don't just come with all the answers. Don't settle for charity. But if we can recognise that our collective freedom is woven together, that we are all only as free as the most overlooked and the most marginalised person in our community, And if we can come in the knowledge that loving ourselves and loving our neighbour are actually two sides of the same coin, then let's move forward together. See, charity says, here's a handout. There's a giver and a receiver. Community says, come. We all get to contribute. Charity comes often as a one-off action. Here, poor person, come have a seat. Yeah? Nah. Community comes as an invitation into relationship. Love your neighbour as you love yourself is a challenge to keep inviting people into relationship. Sounds nice, eh? You know, loving, inviting, relationship. (laughs) Except I don't want relationship with that person. They're too smelly. Like the car full of teenage boys that I take home after boxing on a Wednesday. And that one, they're too dirty. (laughs) Like the other day when I said to my youngest, yeah, come back and give me that hug when you've sorted out your chocolate ice cream face. Oh, and that group, well... They're too different. Like, they've got different political views than me. I can't be friends with them. Ooh, and that person, they're too needy. True story. When I first started preparing for this morning, God brought to my mind somebody that had reached out to me several weeks earlier, and I had just been putting off responding. I'd just been avoiding responding. And I had to stop my preparation, and I had to go and send a message. And then I had to stop it again another night to take a phone call from that same person. Because actually, there's no good just talking about it. (laughs) James has a fair bit to say about that. What about this one? Oh, I couldn't invite that person into a relationship. They're way too intelligent. Well, they're too talented. Altogether too perfect. I remember when Lee and I got engaged and uh, we signed up to do some pre-marriage counselling through church. Now, I grew up in West Auckland. And at the time, I was living and working in South Auckland. So when Liam informed me that the couple who were going to be counselling us lived in Rimuera, I was like, oh great, I am not going to be able to relate to them. That is where the fancy rich people live and they're probably snobs. True story, true story of my reaction, not true story of how it worked out. Were they nice people? Yes, they were. Did they communicate helpful things? Yes, they did. Nearly 18 years later, we're still going strong. Did I have to ditch my attitude and eat my words? Yes, I did. But I digress. The point is this the cross has leveled the playing field. To paraphrase how the message puts it, oh, uh, yeah, I was going to say, you know, like that, that judgy thing. It goes both ways. Sometimes we kind of think of it just being one way or the other, but yeah, the judgment can, can go in any direction. Anyway, the message puts it something like this. When we segregate God's children, we prove that we're judges who can't be trusted. Instead, we do well to just love people not picking and choosing, specialising in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring others. You know, the verses say, well, I did murder that person, but I didn't commit adultery. You know, it might seem like an extreme kind of example, but apparently some in the church at that time were using this love your neighbour as their reason for paying special attention to the rich. I'm just loving my neighbor. And James is saying, Okay, cool. But what about your other neighbor? Maybe an example that we could relate to there is you know don't don't just entertain your friends and call that hospitality. So back in the message, not picking and choosing, specializing in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring others, but talking and acting like people expecting to be judged by the law that sets us free. The law that sets us free. Okay, let's talk about that. Do laws and freedom even go together in the same sentence? Well, I thought of an example. It's like, I, I have freedom to drive at 100 Ks on the motorway because I know I expect that there's not going to be any cars coming at me from the opposite direction. So the law in our country that designates one side of the road to drive on over the other, that gives me freedom in my driving, right? Okay, so verse 12 and 13 says, "So whatever you say, or whatever you do, Remember that you will be judged. It's not us doing the judging. That you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Now wait for it. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. Sheesh. N.T. Wright explains it like this. He says that, James isn't so much trying to make some big theological point here, but he's simply saying, think about it. He says, The same door through which the mercy of God will come into your heart and life, rescuing and transforming you and enabling you to live by the royal law, is the door through which that mercy must flow out to others. I'll just say that again. The same door through which the mercy of God will come into your heart and life, rescuing and transforming you and enabling you to live by the royal law, is the door through which that mercy must flow out to others. But if you slam that door shut, he says, because you don't like the others or don't trust them or feel yourself to be socially superior to them, then you've slammed and locked the very door through which God's mercy is longing to come to you. Forgiveness is a two-way street, and if we block off that street, we block off that street. So this law of liberty, it sets us free to show mercy. It inspires us to freely give because we have Freely received. We're free to love who God loves and honour who God honours. And some would be scandalised at whose faces feature in God's gallery. But we're free from cultural norms and expectations. And we're free to speak up. Subversive Jesus models that. And Proverbs 31, verse 8 to 9, says, Speak up. For those who cannot speak for themselves, who have no voice, for the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy, see that they get justice. You know, it's not enough just to not laugh at that racist joke, it's not enough just to not contribute to injustice. This is a call to action. We're free to come to God's table confident that there's a seat for us as long as we realize that everyone else is also invited. It's not that God doesn't have favorites. I reckon it would be more accurate to say that we're all his favorites. How could it change us if we all simply lived in response to that? If every person we encountered we saw as someone who God chooses to put a frame around. Dare to be stirred this morning. Dare to be changed. I want to finish off with an invitation. It's an invitation to be and to see, sticking with this idea of framing the things that are worthy of attention. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. To be a people who are transformed and free because of the cross. We must first know that we are in God's gallery. That God has a frame for you. That you are the artwork he's proud of. For some of you this morning, it might be really significant to just come and pick up this frame and get that. He chooses you. You know when Jenny shared before that that for some of you there's that picture of God just wanting to sing over you. There's another verse also in Zephaniah I quickly looked it up. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. And it blows my mind every time I read it because it says, God doesn't just sing over me, He sings because of me. And some of you need to get that this morning. You need to come and hold this frame and know that He frames you. You capture His attention, He sings because of you. You've got to get that. And then when we realize that we're His masterpiece, We can't live unchanged. We have to enter into this law of liberty that enables us to do the good things he's planned for us. When we accept his invitation to be his masterpiece, then the other side of that coin is to see his masterpiece. To approach every person we encounter as one of his favourites. So who's God putting in the frame for you this morning, for you to see and really pay attention to? Where is he positioning you to invite someone into relationship and create community? What platform is he entrusting to you so you can speak up for justice? I'm going to get Matt and Dej and Riley to come back on up the front because you know when we sing words like shake up the ground of all my tradition break down the walls of all my religion we better watch out that is a prayer that god wants to answer and you know we've been praying for our new church home and and the other day as I was typing this I just had Tears pouring down my face, like imagine, imagine if that was a place where the most unexpected people were framed, where our community could come, anybody in our community could come and experience community, and where we actually made room for God to do whatever he wants wanted. So I've asked these guys to come and to, and to lead us again. Let's not wait until we've got a new church home. Let's start this morning. You know, as they lead us, it's Soup Sunday. There's no hurry. Let's stand together. And I just invite you to sing the song again as your prayer this morning. Come up the front if you want and receive prayer for whatever God has touched you with this morning. Or stay where you are and ask someone to pray for you. Or simply offer Him space to do whatever He wants to in you today.